say something real quick about what Pastor Zeke was talking about. And Pastor Zeke and I will talk uh, tomorrow about, uh, anyway, no, I'm just, I'm teasing. There are some things that we have going on. We're going to begin to share them with you. But one of the things that we're very, very cautious of is to throw something out there and then it get tweaked. And then we've got people going, I thought you said you were going to do so-and-so. So we've been very, very intentional in our meetings and directions for the church. And so there's, there are some changes that are coming. Uh, there's some boldness that is coming. Uh, but we're prayerful that there is more and more unity and if it be God's will that he is able to grow his kingdom right here in this building. So that's, that's our prayer as we move forward. I want to go over just some real quick points that uh, he has put on my heart to share this morning. And we're going to unpack some of these here. And then after uh, service is over, uh, we're going to unpack some more in connect groups. We're going to do connect a little bit different this morning. So I'd encourage you to stick around uh, afterwards because it'll be an, I think you'll have an awesome time. We need to understand that God is joy, and when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we receive his joy. And we can realize uh, our joy more and more when we are thankful for the things that he blesses us with. And we have choices about how we look at things, how we look at life, how we look at our circumstances. And the way we look at it can really grow our joy also. Joy is a blessing, and no one can take it away from you. You can choose to give it to somebody, but God has put it in your heart. No one else can really take it from you. So it depends upon how we respond to circumstances as to how much joy we have in those events. So we're going to be in chapter 2 today, and Paul is talking about something so radically different from the way the world looks and from the way we think. And from the way we act. Remember the advice when you were growing up, you know, your parents may have given this to you or some friends may have given this to you. You need to look out for number one. Look out for yourself first. Do unto others before they do unto you. You get in the first punch. Race to the top. It doesn't matter who you step on. Just make sure you make it to the top and you stay there. This is a survival of the fittest. This is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. I know we've all heard those words. So let me kind of give you an example, and I want you to remember this example because we're going to go back to it at the end of the message. So mom is making breakfast for two, her two young boys, and as she's making these pancakes, the boys begin to look at one another and argue. Let's go ahead and give these two boys names so we can make this a little more personal. So we'll call them Zeke and Jared, are the two boys that are arguing over this, who's going to get this first pancake? And as they're arguing, mom says to them, boys, what would Jesus say? He, he, he knows what's important. So what would he say? He would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I'll wait. So the two boys are now sitting silently looking at each other. And finally, Zeke says to Jared, okay, Jared, you be Jesus. Remember that, because we're going to come back to that at the end of the service. So grab your Bibles like your life depends upon it, because it does. We're going to be in the second chapter of Philippians. I'm going to start in the first verse. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete 
By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look at your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have the attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So often today, it is so important to us that we want to make good impressions, first impressions, good impressions with people. We want people to like us. And so often we put up a facade as to who we really are because we want acceptance. The other, side, the other thing that we do is that we want to make sure that we take care of us first. We want to please ourselves. And you see this selfish ambition and conceit only brings discord. Therefore, we should be, have spiritual unity with one another, putting others first just as Jesus did. You see, Jesus was humble, willing to give up his rights to obey God and to serve others. There's joy in serving others. Remember, you can choose your attitude while you can't choose your circumstances all the time. You can choose how you respond to those circumstances. You can choose to serve out of love and not out of guilt or fear. There are times some that we will decide that we want to serve, but we want to serve because we're worried if we don't serve, somebody may say something about it. And then we begin to serve just because we think we should serve. And we begin to serve for the wrong reasons. And in some cases, we begin to serve the wrong causes because of what other people think. Instead, we should be looking for opportunities that God has put before us and be obedient to his call in your life. You know, Jesus is placed at the right hand of God the Father. No position could be more honorable. No position could be more glorious. Yet Jesus decided not to hold on to his right. Nothing, not even his position in heaven was more precious than he wanted to hold on to other than being obedient to his father's calling. Jesus did not cling to his rights, nor did he argue that he shouldn't suffer for the sins of the rebellious humanity on this earth. You know, I've heard people say, I'll give up anything for God. I've heard pastors say, God, just tell me where you want me to go. And when God puts something on their heart or an opportunity comes out, they go, okay, uh, any place other than there, God. Or we have people that say, I'll give up anything for God, but God knows how important my house is, my car is, my job is. And so he wouldn't ask me to give that up. Can we not expect that he might ask us to sacrifice privileges, comforts, just as he did his son. Scripture says each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Look at the church of Philippi as we read about them. Everything was not peachy keen there. People were being people. They began to argue. Everything was messed up. Division began to take root. Feelings were hurt. Gossip started. And here comes the war. Scripture says your attitude should be the same as Jesus. We should be joy builders and joy defenders. Billy Sunday once wrote, The trouble with many men is that they have gotten just enough belief to make themselves miserable. 
If there's no joy in your belief, you've got a leak in your belief system. God wants to restore lost joy. The truth is, he does not want you to lose your joy to start off with. Your joy should be everlasting. Recognize that God is joy. The 104th Psalm reads, Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. And in the 65th chapter of Isaiah, 18th verse, we read, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. None of that stuff that's written in the Old Testament has changed. It all focuses on the character of God and joy in God's heart. We can look at the 23rd Psalm. So often we hear the 23rd Psalm at funerals. We hear it kind of as words of encouragement for those that are left behind, knowing that their loved one is in God's kingdom. But just listen to what he's saying to us that are here. God gives me all I need. He leads me. He restores me. He brings me to righteousness. Even in the valley of death, he is with me. He brings me comfort. He anoints me and my cup overflows. In all this joy, there is a protection and guidance that will last forever in his kingdom. Reaffirm your commitment to others. Release your problems to the Lord and reignite your passion for others. Remain close to Jesus and be joyous. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is righteous and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2, everyone knows. And do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You see, in these scriptures, Paul's words are profound they were profound then, and they are profound today. Times really have not changed because human nature has not changed. The pagan world is still trying to put a stamp of conformity on every follower of Jesus Christ. Every pressure is being brought to bear upon the believers to make them to conform or acquiesce to the standards of the world. Our joy comes from making Christ known everywhere to everyone and to boldly be nonconformists that speak the truth of God's word. In the desires to make Christ known and to increase influence of the church, we are prone to think the church needs to be popular among those unbelievers. This has been and continues to be an obstacle for the church. You see, in John 15, Jesus says the world hates Hate you. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You know, if you get a, a, a good football team comes to your town to play, whether it's professional, whether it's a high school team, and they're really good and your team is kind of, you know, Texan kind of, you know, not that good. And that team comes in, you, you, you hate them. You don't like them. You hate them. You boo them. But you know what? The team that comes in that is good, and they know they're good, and they prepared themselves. When they leave, they want those people still booing them because their purpose of coming there is victory. 
And that's a purpose that God has for the church, is to be victorious in sharing his, his word. How did the early disciples turn the world completely upside down? Well, it's easy. They had the truth, and they refused to water it down. And in today's age, we are so prone to acquiesce to what the truth says and bend it just so we can all get along. You know, you see, when those apostles were put in prison, we read about Paul today, they counted it all joy. They understood their life belonged to God and their bodies were a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And Satan spends so much time today on social media. If you spent more time in the word of God and praying to God, Satan is going to take every moment that he can to distract you, to distract you with doubt and temptation. Jesus' word to those who believe in him was this. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. You see, we belong to God. We do not belong to Satan. Joy comes to the heart of love and humility. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus Christ. The essence of Christ-likeness is eager obedience to please him in all things. It's not an obligation, folks. It is an absolute blessing and a privilege to walk in the steps of Jesus. How is this possible? Well, he tells us he's to work all things out, all circumstances out. And maybe as you're in one of these quagmires, we focus on self so much we don't see what's going on around us and that God is working on other people there and may need you to help him work with them and he works through you but we are so focused on ourselves and not on his kingdom and his glory when you focus on him then you get a chance to read scripture or to live out scripture Philippians 4.13 says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me the greatest joy comes to your heart is when your relationship with God is restored and when it's deepened. So let's, again, pick up with the fifth verse in uh, the second chapter, and this time let's go through the, the, all the way to the 11th verse. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These verses are often called the hymn of Christ. Scholars believe that these verses were sung in the early church. Paul speaks of his joy in the 
uh, in the first four verses as encouragement in Christ, as comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and that any affection and sympathy complete his joy by being the same mind, same love, and in the same accord as Christ. He also refers as spiritual unity within the body. Oscar, can you put up the passing slide, please? So we see this picture here, and most people look at the pain, the anger, the hurt, the betrayal. Do you not see the joy? The joy of forgiveness, the joy of eternal life. If we could grasp the significance of the incarnation, you would see the pain of the cross, but you would also see the joy of what God did for us. Thank you, sir. In verse 6, it explains that Jesus became fully man. He did not give up his deity, but he did not hold on to the glory as he walked on the earth. Then in verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, of a slave, being born in the likeness of man. So verses 6 and 9, we see the crucifixion and the exaltation of Christ. He humbled himself to a horrible, horrible death, and he did it obediently, willingly, humbly. John 17, 4, Jesus prayed this. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. If you read that prayer, go back to the first chapter of John, the first few verses. Then you'll understand in verses 9 and 11, we see the oneness of God. He reminds us that God created all things. He signs off on all things that he produces in your life. And the service that he gives you to do, he has your back. Moving on to the 12th verse. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation in, in, with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Folks, salvation is not an event. It's a process. It's a gift from God. And with the salvation comes a responsibility to work out your salvation. Once we have been saved, we can claim the joy that he gives us. Through salvation, God gave us his joy. And he wants us to fill each day with his joy. God asks you to follow his leading rather than setting your own agenda and desires for your life. And I understand there's a paradox there because God gives us free will. But we are to work diligently on our faith, yet always being aware that God is the only one that can bring everlasting change to our lives. Here is where we go from loving God to experiencing God in our life. If you place a, a poker in a fireplace and the fireplace is raging hot, you stick it in there and it's going to get hot. Not because it's a poker but because it's in the fire, because its relationship is where it is in the fire. Not only does it become hot, if you pull it out, you can actually burn something with it if it gets hot enough. The poker is really not responsible for being hot. What he's responsible for is the relationship he has with the fire. 
If believers, if as believers you're touching other people's lives and nothing is changing and nothing is happening, maybe you're not understanding the red-hot power doesn't come from your effort. It comes from the relationship you have with God. God's goal is Christ-likeness. That is being conformed to the character of Christ. Emulating and experiencing Christ, not because your work, but because Christ is in you. Providence is the hand of God, the hand of God working in history. This is where God brings everything that's in existence under his hand, brings it together, weaves it together to where his will is done, to the fullness of his design. He sits at the wheel of life. He has governance over it, of all events. He is taking what we may call luck, a break, mistake, happenstance, happenstance, and he just weaves all this, even mistakes. He weaves them together for his will. When we are obedient to him and he uses us, that's when we experience him and the true victory of joy. The secret to be changed in life is to, to submit to God's control and to let him work and guide you. Moving to the 14th verse. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God. Beyond reproach in the midst of crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I do not run in vain, not toil in vain, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. You too, I urge, rejoice the same way and share your joy with me. Much of the time that we complain is why. We don't get our way. Didn't work out the way we wanted it to. So why is complaining harmful? Well, just within the church, if you have a church that gossips, they just don't get along, then people don't really see the true meaning of the gospel when they look at the body of Christ. Believing in Christ should unite all those that trust him. Our lives should be characterized by moral purity, by patience, by peacefulness, by integrity so that we can be the light to the world. Paul regarded his life as a sacrifice. Even if he had to die, he was content. When you have a total commitment to serving Christ, sacrificing, sacrificing to build the faith of others, joy is your reward. God is in control of all things and his will and promises will come to pass. However, he loves us so much that he grants us this curse of free will. We make choices. We make mistakes. We make choices to be angry, to be hurt. We make choices to say what we want to say when we want to say it. We choose who to befriend when we want to. We choose to be happy. We choose to be joyous. We choose to have a pity party. We choose to ignore responsibilities, to get even, to pray, to praise God, to encourage others, to give or not to give to others, and the list goes on and on. Regardless of your decisions, know that God is working in all things. 
and he is working them out for his glory. I mean, some examples. Look at Jonah. Jonah goes, I, I don't want to go there. God goes, yeah, you do. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. Get in a fish. A mom takes her baby and puts it in a basket she's weaved together and puts it in a river. Now, what mom would go, I hope this saves my baby. But God goes, that's fine. Put him in that river. Have a woman downstream that is bathing him. And she will get him. And Moses will lead my people. Look at Peter's denial and then the depth of love he has for Jesus. After those trials and tribulations, look at Saul becoming Paul. Look at the apostles in chains and in jail. And yet they're counting it all joy as the chains fall off and the doors open. As they sing praises to God. That's why Paul says, count it all joy. You may not be happy, but God is bringing his will into your life. It should be a joyous time. God wants us to be people of love and peace and joy. We need to be thirsty for joy in the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37, we see Jesus in the temple. And as they're leaving, Jesus shouts out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. From our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We should thirst for what God wants in our lives. The desire should be for the Holy Spirit to guide us, and we should be willing to follow. So what's the Holy Spirit's first name? Okay, this is not a test, and you're not getting any of Mark's points if we get this right. But his first name is Holy. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit cannot thrive in an environment contaminated with sin. Do not bring sin into your life to live. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to live with it. Can we put the sunshine cross up, please, real quick? This is a more joyous picture that people see. What a beautiful sunrise, sunset, whichever it is. But the cross is empty. Jesus is not there. He has risen. He lives here within us. So when you look at your life, does it seem like joy is abating you? Do you seek joy in all things? Do you focus on Jesus and God in all things? Scripture says we are workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has made us through salvation to be outward focused. The Bible says if we, when we accept Jesus, we are ambassadors or missionaries or slaves. But an ambassador is an outward focused person that is from one nation to another nation. We are from Believer to believer or from believer to those that are lost. What's the profound word Jesus said to his disciples? He sends them out on the Great Commission. And yes, he tells them to baptize those, those and to share the gospel. But he says something to them that's just one simple word. He tells them, go. He doesn't say, Hey, stay right here and wait till people come to you, and those that come to you, can you share the gospel and baptize them? No, he said to go. Doing what Jesus says can be a sacrifice that brings extraordinary joy. 
way too often we focus first on what the sacrifice is going to cost. Is it going to cost me money? Is it going to cost me time? We don't focus on the fact that it brings you eternal joy. God made us in such a way that if our lives are all about us, we will never, ever be complete. Think back, when's the last time you helped someone? It felt good. But better yet, when's the last time you helped someone that you hadn't planned on helping? It was just one of those things that happened in front of you and you reached out and the Holy Spirit led you. What a joyous time that was. It wasn't planned. You were just obedient. So do you want to find joy? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Are you someone that gives thanks for all things? Look at your blessing, count your blessing, number your blessings. Be thankful and suddenly you'll see that the sunrise, the sun is behind the clouds. It's there all the time. The sun doesn't go away. You see that you will be blessed, content, rich, peaceful, and you understand the blessings of his joy. Thank God for your salvation. And then how can you not be joyous when you thank him for your salvation? The one who gives thanks is joyous and blessed. Lorena, and can we put the passion slide up one more time? With all of our shortcomings and all of our faults, We have been blessed to be saved through the blood of Jesus. This is a picture of pain to so many. But to the children of God, be thankful that here is an opportunity for eternal joy. Remember our story about our two boys in the beginning? About how Zeke told Jerry he could be Jesus. What a thoughtful guy Zeke was. But how did Jared react? Did Jared go, oh, I'm Jesus. Well, Zeke, you're a fig tree now. There's always two ways to think of things. Making it about you or making it about Jesus. Be thankful. Be a thankful, joyous servant for God this week. Make it about him. (laughs) 